Welcome to Hazelwood's Have You Heard, the essential podcast for farmers and landowners. I'm your host, Nick D, and today I'm joined by colleagues Lucy Hammond and Pip Cusack, and we're going to cover everything equine, anything we think is relevant to do with horses, and I'm really looking forward to this one. <laughs> Lucy, we're frequently seeing some forms of equine activities as part of the diversification of farming businesses. Why is this? Um, I think it's because there's surplus facilities generally, um, whether they've got barns or surplus grazing, then you know there, there's something there that can easily be turned into something equine. There's also demand for sort of DIY, full livery, or a whole yard as a whole. I think it's so difficult to get land yourself these days that people are quite happy to rent or put their horses on someone else's land. So there's a business waiting there to be tapped into. So a good income stream really for a landowner with the appropriate facilities, whether that's extra grazing, pasture or buildings. Yeah, yeah, there's there's different ways around it, whether you want, it's like a purely equine facility, which is purpose built, or it might be a professional yard, or it might be a stud farm, or, or it might be just, you know, DIY and spare bit of the farm that, that's not required for anything else. And do you think the actual number of horses being kept on farms like that is still going up at the moment or is it sort of related to what's going on in the general economy? Um, The the economy does have an impact on it. Um, Horse prices through Covid and after Covid went through the roof and they have started to come down again now so that would mean that there's less demand in the market Mm. but there's still, you'll be surprised, they are everywhere. Horses, aren't they, Pip? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so quite a bit of op- opportunity, and presumably whatever that opportunity is going to give rise to some, you know, tax and business-related questions. So, when does buying or selling a few horses become a trade? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because quite often I have people that say, "Well, I only buy or sell two or three a year, so I can't possibly be trading." Isn't there a number? And I say, "Well, no, there isn't. It all comes down to what your intention is." If your intention is that you're buying a horse or more than one horse and your view is that you're going to do something with it or just sell it on and and you're looking to make money out of it, then you're trading. So you might be only selling one or two and you could still be trading. But if Yeah, so how do you differentiate that from my children weren't actually interested in having having ponies, but if they had been and we'd bought one or two for them, kept them for a while and sold them, presumably there's no def- no risk of that being a trading no. activity. No, that's very much, you're, you're buying a horse and you might buy one and actually it doesn't suit them, so you might sell it relatively quickly, but there was no intention there to buy it to make money out of it. The intention was that it was for your child to ride, so... No. So soon as so it will be quite a grey area then as to when mm. it does become a trading activity. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So we've talked about when people carry out so much activity that it is, does become a trade, and if they go over that threshold and they've established a trading business, how is a treat? How is a horse treated in the accounts? How do we actually account for that sort of activity? So that completely depends. Um, depends on the horse and depends what you're using it for. If you're buying a stallion and the intention is to keep him and use him for breeding purposes, then we could treat him as a fixed asset and claim capital allowances, so put him on the balance sheet. Um, we could do something similar if you've got a particularly sort of a flagship horse, say for a stud yard, you've got one horse that's going to go out and be ridden in competitions and show what an excellent yard you've got. Um, it might also have a name that links into your stud yard that raises the awareness of it. That would be a fixed asset. But a horse that you're just buying to bring on and then sell again would be part of your trading stock. Okay, so we've bought something, 
developed it, bred something, all those are going to be held yeah. in stock. But if we've got something that we're going to use, like we said, going out or providing riding lessons or whatever, that's going to be an asset used in our trade and capital allowances might be better with yeah. tax deduction, even though we haven't sold it well. Look who's talked about tax first. <laughs> Sorry, we should have talked about the business things first, shouldn't we, and then tax afterwards. It's, it's also not just the horses, Nick, because you might have embryos that will be included in your stock as well. So if you're buying embryos and implanting them in part of your breeding business, then you might have embryos at the end of the year or insemination costs for the foal that's not yet been born, and that would also be part of your trading stock. Okay, so once you do start trading, you do need to have a think about it mm. and a sensible think about it and work out what clearly what you know what your sales are, but you need to work out what your purchase and yeah. stock are as well. Okay. What should you be aware of if you're looking to open or expand an equine business? Various different things there. Um, first one would be the, the structure of the business. Um, you might have one business, you might have more than one. Who's going to be involved? Is it, um, if it's on the farm, is it part of the farming family? Are you going to separate it or have it part of, of the, the ongoing farming trade or is it something completely separate? Um, thinking about who owns the land, are you just renting it for your equine business or is it part of the farmland potentially? Or is it land that's owned by a person um, that, that wants to run the equine business? And, and also the, the finance arrangements. Um, do you need to borrow money? Do you need to build a menage or an indoor school? And, and how you're going to um, deal with all of that? For instance, um, one of my clients has got three different enterprises, which are, they're all equine, but they're all actually quite separate. One is a training business. One is a breeding business. And the other one is sort of like a competition yard. And they were looking at putting up an indoor school. And it's just working around and working with the banks as to how how you structure the debt, how you structure the repayment. Um, so, yeah, it's all quite interesting. So there's no right or wrong. And so using that one as an example, why do you have two or three separate businesses? Um, I'm going to have to mention the tax word. Okay. Okay, go for it. The VAT. It, VAT, depending on what you're doing, what you're training, the VAT, and we'll come back to it in a minute, it's, it's one of the, the really big things within the equine. There's so many different strands to it that if you can have certain parts of the business where there's no VAT mm-hmm. and other bar- parts where there are, then it, it's going to give you an overall better profitable position. I, I guess also liability comes into that. Sometimes horses can go very wrong very quickly. Um, and you might be in a situation where you want limited liability and that affects how you structure part of the business so that it's within its own ring fence and doesn't knock onto the rest of your business or personal assets as well. Yeah, I suppose the limited liability is a big thing, isn't it? Particularly mm. if you've got the general public coming on to the yeah. into the business to actually have lessons or whatever, then liability is something that everyone's got to be well aware of. Yes, and horses can be unpredictable, as we all know. Okay, so we talked about the structure. You mentioned, Lucy, who's involved in the business and, you know, sort of splitting up rewards and maybe the pros and cons of keeping the equine business or businesses separate from separate from the farm. Yeah. Okay, so we've got to the stage now where we've got quite a lot of horses around. Who's looking after these horses? <laughs> well, that's your job, Nick, I think. I think you'd enjoy that one. <laughs> Um, quite often you're, you're going to have the person that's running the business. They are going to be heavily involved in it. Um, there may be staff. Quite likely they will be either employed or self-employed. 
and then you're coming down to you know the badges of trade is that person actually self-employed or should they be employed and on 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 the payroll so you need to watch that quite often you see a number of apprenticeships run through through them it's a good way because there's quite a lot of younger people that like to get involved with horses um, so that that can provide you a good way of, of subsidizing your, your labor um, and the other thing to watch with that is if you've got a sort of a yard manager where do they live quite often you want them to live on site because of the need to be there for the the um, welfare of the animals um, so it's just watching out on the benefiting kind issues um, generally you'd hope that they would be exempt from a benefiting kind because they need to be there um, but but not always, so it, there's uh, different things in there. Have you got something to add to that, Pip? Uh, the other thing that we've seen a couple of times is issues with the minimum wage, um, especially where you've got staff with accommodation on site. It can get a little bit complicated working out how that affects their take-home pay at the end of the day. Um, so minimum wage is definitely something to be aware of in equine businesses. Right, okay. <clears throat> so staff, clearly, and how you look after them, how you reward them, needs some quite careful thought. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so we've got our equine business, generally separate from the farming by the, by the sounds of it. We've got someone helping look after the, these horses. Hopefully we're making a profit, but how are these profits or losses treated for tax? So the same as most trading businesses really. Um, you have a year end in the business, we look at the profits or losses realised in that period, and then you'd pay tax on the profits, assuming it was an unincorporated entity at the normal marginal rates of tax, so 20, 40, 45%. The benefit of having losses, particularly on a stud farm, is that you are able to offset these against your other income for a period of up to five years. And that's because stud farms take so long to build up and start being profitable that you often incur many years of loss making first. HMRC are quite lenient and allow that to be set off against your other income, saving income tax. Yeah, that, that's a, a really good point. The other thing that we do see is HMRC do challenge the losses and certainly with equine businesses on two counts one because there is potentially personal use there which obviously if it's for personal purposes you can't get a tax deduction but also on the losses is there truly a business there so that they are challenged and what we would sort of suggest is to make sure that you've got a business plan if you've got a business plan that clearly shows that in year seven eight nine or eleven or twelve you're expecting to make a profit if they do challenge the losses, you have got something to fall back on. And in your experience then, does it take that long if you have a stud farm or some sort yeah. of can do. breeding yeah. activity? It can take a long time it can before take a long time. Yeah, But equally, it sometimes only takes one fantastic horse to make a good profit and you've gone from losses to profit overnight. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so profits or losses and the special rules that apply to um, some horse some equine activities. We touched earlier but when we were talking about the number of separate businesses that might be um, set up to do with horses. What is the sort of general approach with VAT? <laughs> the general approach is that it could be any one of the VAT rates. Um, so for instance, um, livery, DIY livery would be exempt from VAT. If you're providing lessons, they might be exempt or they might be standard rated, depending on what type of lesson it is. So riding school lessons are likely to be exempt if they're performed by the owner of the business or the member of an LLP. If it's within a company, it would be standard rated. If you're providing dressage lessons, it's 
quite likely going to be standard rated, so it could be anything. Um, and then when you're buying and selling horses, then again, <laughs> generally it won't be exempt. It's generally it's going to be either full VAT or you're in the margin scheme, depending if you're buying or selling them, you've bred them yourself. So it, it is an absolute <clears throat> minefield. And in your experience, are people generally aware that, that, that it is quite as complicated as that? Is it, does everybody know that? <laughs> I think those that have started doing it and, and have asked the question know that it is. But I think if you were just starting afresh, you wouldn't believe that it could be quite as complicated as it is. So depending on what you're doing, what your overall business plan is, you could have any combination of those sort of supplies, yes. whether exempt, taxable or on a margin scheme. Yeah. Yeah, and you thought farming was complicated. <laughs> and, and, and that's just in the UK. The minute you start trading overseas or exporting horses, it gets a whole lot more complicated. Is there a simple answer to that, or is that just like a complicated one and not for the context? Not for today, Com- I think. Not for today. <laughs> right, okay. So having sort of run through from the nature of the business, where it's going to be had, and and the impact of VAT, are there any general points? We'll come on to your top tips in a moment, <laughs> that, you know, the takeaway points people are going to have. But are there any other points that we haven't covered? Um, just trying to think if there is anything there that... Anything that would have... Because, you know, a lot of... When we're looking at farmers and landowners, a lot is geared towards sort of the inheritance tax position or whatever. Is there anything there going on with horses? Yeah, it's the same sort of tax planning that we do. It's it's understanding who owns the land, who owns the asset, who's trading the business. You're not generally going to get agricultural property relief for for inheritance tax unless you've got a stud farm. Hmm. So you're looking at business property relief. So as long as the people that own... The assets are doing the trading and we've we've done it with instances where a daughter's been running a business but actually we've brought dad in as well because dad actually owns the land so that we've got a trading partnership so that we have then got the business property relief to go with it okay so one or two things just to be aware of there okay so that's taken us nicely through a lot of the things to do with equine equine enterprises and activities if we were just one takeaway each what would be your top tip who wants to go first pip are you going first yeah my advice would be to think about the structure and the tax position before you start um, growing organically is great but sometimes it comes with a whole host of implications that you need to be aware of at the start especially vat hindsight is wonderful but often you need to be ahead of the game Okay, thanks. Lucy, what, what would you like people to take away from today? I think, I think it's, it's understanding the capital taxes position we've just been talking about. If it's part of a farm diversification or, or any other type of diversification, understanding who the landowner is, who owns the asset and what the IHT position is, and is there a way that you can get some form of relief on it, then that's the bit that you should be understanding. Okay, so beware, understand the inheritance tax position. Yep. My top tip... Clearly, I know nothing at all about the subject area, but don't go near horses. (laughs) Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us today. As ever, if you have any questions on the sort of subjects we've covered, please feel free to contact one of the speakers, particularly either Pip or Lucy. And if you want to learn a little bit more, feel free to visit our website, www.hazelwoods.co.uk. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.